Welcome at the podcast for the future of health. Conversations about innovation, technology, change, but most of all about people in health. This is not again a podcast about money or efficiency in processes. If that is your cup of tea, you might want to find another podcast. Deepak Kora is a pediatric intervention radiologist who, after spending five years in Qatar at SIDRA, joined the Canadian Medical Association uh, innovation company Juul as the chairman of their board. Dee and I became friends since we met in Dubai and we were sitting in Scheveningen at a coffee bar exploring how innovation, technology and change in healthcare is coming about. So, 141 is the number that binds us, Dee. Uh, I think it was the 131st floor that we were in in the Burj Khalifa in Dubai a couple of years ago. And this was like the top tallest office building? Yeah, tallest one. It's, I think it's the tallest uh, office that you can have in the world. And I remember the view from being pretty, pretty epic. And, uh, Absolutely. Super excited to be able to have a conversation with you around yeah. uh, around other epic things like uh, innovation and health. So yeah, what and what the role with it for physicians is within innovation and technology. So amongst other things, you're uh, now the CMA of uh, Joule, which is a part of the Canadian Medical Association. Can you elaborate a bit more on that and also on your mission in that perspective? Yeah, sure. I'm I sit at the chairman of the board right now uh, in terms of uh, in terms of the CMA and, uh, pardon me, in terms of Juul. And um, Juul was set up as a standalone entity, as a sub, basically a subdivision of the Canadian Medical Association mm-hmm. to um, to promote innovation and, uh, and, uh, and to facilitate uh, and physician transformation in terms of digital health. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that these whole new digital atmosphere that doctors are going to face in their practices is going to be totally transformative and um, and one of our board members actually said a really interesting thing he said you know D he says it feels like we are 737 max aiding the healthcare system cool. and I said whoa that's a really interesting point he said well and, and this was you and Affleck and he said he said D you know what it feels like is that we are we're implementing all these amazing digital tools all these technologies uh, redesigning our healthcare system you know, to make it more efficient and do all these amazing things that we're going to talk about today. But but fundamentally, we're not really spending enough time training the people who are going to operate these things, right? Yeah. The instruction manuals don't exist right now. And so we're about to, you know, 737 max 8 this problem uh, of healthcare. And I thought, wow, what a, what a really great yeah. uh, opportunity for, uh, for the Canadian Medical Association and for Juul to really have some leadership in terms of carrying physicians along the road. Now, we have a hundred about a hundred thousand members right now, wow. and so it's a pretty big organization. Um, some fantastic leadership uh, in that space, and uh, and the idea being that as a standalone uh, subdivision of the Canadian Medical Association, it frees itself a lot from the you know bureaucratic um, yeah, which kind of, yeah. um, shackles that sometimes are necessary, Where, which are needed instances. absolutely, yeah. but also comes in as some kind of. Um, obstacles on the way uh, in, the, in these kind of things. So I, I was involved in the at the kickoff of Jewel uh, back in the days in Banff, and uh, I've seen firsthand how this got great traction. Where did it go from then and now, and what's the future of it? What is the what's the main objective back then? What is it now, and where do you think it's heading for? 
Um, so the main objective back then was to, again, to try to facilitate this digital transformation of health and, uh, and also to take the commercialization um, component of the Canadian Medical Association, any of its commercial products, the Canadian Medical Association Journal, and a variety of other tools that we give to physicians mm-hmm. as part of their membership dues, to, uh, to put those into a standalone and then, and then to build on that a whole other uh, digital competency is probably the right word okay. for physicians. And, and then to participate in the innovation ecosystem that is what that that we feel should evolve in Canada. Um, so that's that was the intent when it was set up. Um, it was funded quite well and continues to be funded very well by the mm-hmm. Canadian Medical Association. The idea being now that um, we're at a we're at a, a, a significant crossroads in terms of which direction we want to go in uh, at Jewel. And I think that uh, that pending sort of a bunch of strategic type discussions with the Canadian Medical Association board, um, it would appear as though it would appear as though we're going to be in a a, a very interesting direction. We're going to move into the direction of uh, facilitating innovation in health uh, at the at the front line. And um, you know, if I look at innovation in healthcare, and, and I'll use the Canadian context, but I think it probably. Um, quite usable in multiple other jurisdictions around the world, but the way I look at it is sort of three major layers. Um, the first layer is one where uh, we we don't have a really good systematic way of engaging the front line. Because if you think about... And front line is physicians, physicians nurses, nurses, staff. Yeah. Everybody. Physicians, nurses, the yeah, orderlies, the, yeah. the, yeah, everyone. And and we don't have a really good systematic way of doing that inside health institutions. You know, They've there been are, trained separately for all their education and then all of a sudden you're on the job and then they say, just go out there and make fun. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, 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 and worse than that even is that oftentimes there is no space for them mm-hmm. to see ideas. To, to even voice their ideas, to see any of those ideas come to life. And and so we recognize that this is a significant issue and that there's also a significant opportunity for us to empower the voices of healthcare at the innovation table and the ideation table at the front line. Mm-hmm. And uh, something that is, you know, I think enormously important for us to be able to do. So, um, so then we, we really... We really think that that's a, a core area of competency for the for the CMA and for Jewel, um, and are have sort of launching now three sites in Canada to do this work with uh, big health authorities and uh, and and teaching them about you know how do you engage the front line, how do you then take that front line engagement and systematize it, mm-hmm. um, and how do you create the governance that does this right, and then more importantly. Um, a very good understanding at the executive levels of these organizations and amongst the staff that the vast majority of these ideas will never see a commercial success at all because that's not the intent, right? I mean, if you look at some some of these idea-generating capabilities, these human beings are these amazing idea-generating things, right? We have this amazing imagination and, um, and, and yet fraction of those ideas might actually come to life and then even a smaller fraction will actually have any potential for commercial success. So so getting people to understand that you don't just innovate for commercial success. You innovate because you have a reason to see an idea come to life because innovation um, allows people to, to change the way things are happening. So this is more like a cultural program than a technological program. Absolutely correct. I, so, oh, you nailed it. That's exactly right. Yeah. So if that is the case, 
space. Where is Jewel in five years from now, from that perspective? So I'm not talking about terms in, of investments or having success in terms of bringing companies to the market, but what has Jewel achieved for the, let's say the members of the CMA in five years from now on this topic? So I think if Jewel would have successfully achieved um, uh, giving the front line of healthcare a voice at the innovation table. And I think there's another uh, level that I think Jewel would be incredibly successful and I'd be so happy to see it uh, evolve would be that it becomes synonymous with creating an integrated ecosystem of innovation in the country, right? Both at the front line as well as some of the other work that we're just about to launch uh, in Canada right now, which is in, in, in terms of an integrated health marketplace. Right? <laughs> so I was saying there's sort of three layers of innovation uh, that I think about that are, again, imminently transferable, I think, to other jurisdictions. The first layer is the engagement of the frontline staff. Um, the second engagement also as in creation of awareness, idea. what's happening outside your world, step out of your bubble. You bet. Okay. Educating people about yep. what innovation is, why it's important, and then how you can see your idea come yep. to life. Once that happens, there will be a small subset of those ideas that have potential for commercial success, mm -hmm. which is amazing, right? We awesome. Um, if we can then, you know, in Canada, I think the, the, the governments have done a, a brilliant job of being able to create this sort of second layer of innovation, which is then taking these um, these ideas and scaling and, 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 and forming companies, allowing people to form companies. We have a lot of really fantastic small business um, uh, incentives for mm -hmm. people to do fundamental R&D yep. and create these companies. Great. So that's the second part is when if you can distill down to ideas that look like they're making sense commercially, then create companies around that. But the third and probably most significant part of innovation, and this is a problem everywhere that I've everybody that I've ever talked to uh, in this space, especially entrepreneurs, is for us to be able to then scale those ideas because you get locked into these trying to get a pilot with one health institution. Yeah. And for crying out loud, it could be your own health institution, mm -hmm. right? Your, your own home, sure. your yeah, own home place. And they just, they can't get their head around how do you then take a small tech startup, right? Put them through, you know, enterprise integration forms and security audits and all this stuff. And by the time this small agile company actually gets a pilot in one health institution their technology is a year and a half old yeah it's a joke so they and move south so they move south and um, many honest, of them are, go are now the moving to the u.s yes and uh, and we don't want that right and so the canadian government doesn't want that canadians as a canadian i don't want that mm -hmm. and i don't want to see that happen i want to see these organized these these technologies scale and so that's what we did we created basically the, the federal government this can health it's called the can health initiative and it'll so be that's, announced that's on going to be launched very soon and, now so and the cma and is going to be now a partner. like uh, 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 early august or late July? It'll be late July. So, July 29th. Yeah, July 29th it launches yep. and uh, and that'll be a super exciting initiative and it integrates 13 health centers across the country wow. into an integrated health marketplace and, and I think that's the third significant step in terms of scaling health technologies and innovations um, uh, because there should be, a, there should be a, um, a tremendous advantage to being in that network where you can you know, implement in one institution and then have it immediately scale yeah. laterally across the other institutions because it's had the green light sort of checkbox, uh, you know, seal of approval from one, right? And, and is this also, is there also embedded something like a structure that if something works in institution A, you don't have to go through all the red tape again for uh, uh, organization number two and yes, three and sir. four? That's so exactly they've right. also agreed on, let's not all do the same stuff over and over again. They, they're, they're also 
putting focus areas in it within those 13? Well, that's the goal. I get, you know, the, the idea would be that we would that we would look at the needs of each of those 13 yeah. health institutions and then match them up with vendors that are capable of, of Otherwise, everybody will Otherwise, look at AI or blockchain. And it may be, you know, the AI is a sort of big yeah, know, grab big, bucket big. of things, right? But but there may be some that are interested in, in a focused um, uh, area of quality improvement and imaging, yeah. for example, and others that are interested in process, process optimization. Yeah, process optimization, right? And and there are others that are interested in, yeah. you know, a specific precision medicine, you know, that big grab bag term again, of uh, a precision medicine type of initiatives, and others that are interested in, like, for example, supply chain optimization, yeah. right? I mean, who knows, right? We, we don't know right now, and we don't want to necessarily, you know, put the lid on any of these things. No, the idea no, is no. that you want to create an ecosystem that then that then begins in this way. And we, I'm quite confident that we'll be able to see some successes happen. And once we see those successes happen, there'll be a lot more funding, both private and public, that follows in on that network that then helps to really you know, see that integrated health uh, marketplace come together. I also think it's a great segue. Meanwhile, we're sitting outside in Scheveningen with a great cup of coffee at a, co- at a coffee bar uh, with all kinds of interesting people just coming by, which is fine. Uh, but I also think that the, the last part of um, that you just shared with us is also a great segue into one other responsibility that you have at OneCubit. Yeah. Where you talk also in terms of computational values, innovation in that sphere, quantum computer kind of things. Uh, I I still don't get my head around these kind of things. (laughs) Can you explain with the former topic that we are talking about in CMA and bringing innovation to frontline staff combined with your responsibility within OneCubit? What is OneCubit? What's your role? And what's the big audacious mission that mission that you're in yeah so it's it's pretty cool i mean one qubit is a, is a company um that uh, our tagline is sort of redefine intractable and uh, <laughs> it basically is a company that was set up uh, to take advantage of initially the the move to quantum computing you know the end of moore's law was upon us towards yeah. the, the late yeah. 2000s right we knew that was coming and it was really there and it is there now so it's not it's some people will argue that some people will argue that let's not go there but, <laughs> but the, you know so so we we recognized that there was an opportunity to actually um, look at the next generation of computation and at that point in time it was it was it was quantum computers and and now we know it's not just quantum computers it's a whole bunch of advanced hardware platforms like for example a bunch of ASICs that are coming out, application-specific integrated circuits. Microsoft's got these new things called the Field Programmable Gated Array, or FPGAs. And um, Fujitsu, for example, just released a physics-based algorithm type of computational process called the digital annealing unit and you know there's all these there's all these crazy (laughs) amazing piece of technological hardware that are coming up that will allow us to really redefine intractable you know that's the goal right and so so when we recognize that actually health and life sciences are two areas that are really quite fundamental for and ready for transformation and that they are computationally very difficult spaces to be involved in well they're completely different worlds actually absolutely they are and we like to think it's not, but it's no. a totally different world, totally different governance, totally different approaches, and for whatever reason, we keep combining those things. We do, and uh, and I think at at, uh, at 
we, that, that's a probably a topic for a whole other discussion yeah, because you're right. But also from decomputational aspects, you also state it's also a completely different. Company. It is. It is. And so, so right now, from a from a health uh, perspective, we we our, our goal is to focus. The company focuses on three verticals um, in the health s- spectrum. It focuses on the diagnostics piece. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a radiologist. So for me, uh, obviously, radiology is 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 a, is, is a logical way to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also a, 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 a you know, the, the second thing I think we would focus on outside of diagnostics is sort of, well, look, if you think about diagnostics, there's a whole bunch of things that happen in diagnostics, everything from uh, sleep to radiology oh, yeah. to pathology to cardiology to, um, you know, EEGs for the for brain. Um, a whole bunch of different things are yeah. happening. And so, fine, we could, uh, we, could, we could look at that space. I think the second space to look at very carefully and, and really boils down very nicely to the core competency that one qubit was built with which is uh, in optimization and um, you know digital process the, optimization yeah process okay. optimization Good. and uh, and so uh, there are so many things that are happening right now in the space of healthcare where they are akin to let's take one simple example if you want to optimize the flows of patients through emergency mm-hmm. if you want to do something like that there's an inflow problem right They're totally unpredictable inflows and uh, now there are some algorithms that are being developed that I think can help us get, get, yeah. get, get to that point. Um, and, then, and then you have what happens in the emergency department and, and the flow of patients outside of the emergency department by and large in the rest of the is, hospital. Yeah. is into the rest of the hospital. And that has a whole bunch of consequences. So it's kind of like uh, you know, a, a, a multi-vehicle routing solution problem, right? And I always <laughs> like to refer to that in a hospital, actually you need an air traffic controller. Oh, I love it. Uh, and, such a and, great and, statement. And, and, so, so that's where this also could come in yes. handy because the computational power is so big that that those would be systems that could handle such a broad perspective of all kinds of not only data layers and data inputs but also to make sense out of that. Is yes, that that's exactly right. Okay. Yeah, and then the third area that one qubit is going to be spending a fair amount of time in is in this grab bag term of precision medicine or personalized medicine, right? <laughs> and you know we laugh at this and and you know well, from everyone, a definition yeah, everyone, 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 everyone loves everyone loves to say you know precision medicine yeah. it's, a, it's become this sort of like like, like innovation right yeah. uh, precision health I love it I love that and so our goal is precision health talk about mm-hmm. it that way and and basically what we hope to be able to accomplish is certainly on and, and are having some early successes um, working in in device with device manufacturers to look at how do we optimize um, uh, and create predictive algorithms for for devices into mm-hmm. the clinical sphere and so uh, some really exciting stuff that you'll probably hear about in the next couple of months uh, that'll come out and maybe we could do another quick catch-up oh, yeah, session well. at that point in time and I'll, I'll give you a little bit of an idea of the journey that we went on on that um, and then and then the other one is sort of looking at big health systems and and, and nationwide uh, population-based um, factors like for example cancer mm-hmm. and looking at how do you create correlative algorithms that uh, that um, help people um, especially clinicians but but even the patients ultimately decide what are the best treatments um, and then layering in various things on top of that over the next few years and so we're very happy to be able to be doing some of that work and I'm happy to be doing some of that work in Canada to be quite honest it's my home country and I love it and I'm just so yeah. excited about I, you know I've always been excited about the potential of the Canadian healthcare system and um, and and now I feel with the with the with the interdigitation of the work that I'm doing in advanced computation and the and and the work that the CMA can bring to bear 
bear, bear here is, is, is just this amazing... You can create a perfect storm. Well, I hope so. <laughs> you know, that's the goal, right? Yeah. And, and the goal is that out of out of this perfect storm will come a, a completely transformative way to practice medicine in Canada and, and we'll hopefully see the evolution of the Canadian healthcare system into something that we really, really are, um, are proud to export. You know? Yeah, can imagine. Yeah. So a lot of the things that we talked about have this computational aspect, also algorithms, and uh, one of my dear colleagues, Amy van Weinsberger, who also is an Edge Fellow at the Center for the Edge, uh, her mission is to create responsible AI and robotics. Uh, and she's trying to create a, a, a trademark, or no, a, a label for that, just like what Fairtrade did for coffee. So that's an interesting way to perceive yeah. it, uh, sitting in a coffee yeah, bar together with shop, you. Yeah. <laughs> um, where does ethics fit in all of this that you're just saying? How will you make sure that once these this technology is up and running that we do the right thing with it as opposed to taking it the wrong alley I always like to share in my keynotes that we were, we had crooks in the middle ages and we will have crooks in the future and not referring to you of yeah, course yeah, yeah. but how do you make sure that that's not going to happen well Boy, that's a really great question. Yeah, it's a big you know, question, had, I know. We've had some fantastic conversations around this. You I did. mean, obviously, particularly, especially, especially at, at One Qubit, because we recognize that a lot of the technology is not just in the healthcare space, but we work in finance and chemistry. Mm-hmm. You know, all these have um, pretty significant ramifications, right, as yeah. we look at advanced computing coming of age. And so we've had these conversations. And I think, you know, in healthcare, it's, 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 it's a whole other, it feels like it's a whole other level of uh, responsibility that we inherit by entering this space. Um, and and the way I think about this is is fundamentally we need to continue this conversation, right? Like we yep. need to, we need to come together. And I, I love I would love to meet Amy actually because I think yeah. there's an opportunity to have a more directed conversation. Um, we have talked. Uh, I think I could, all, I, I, could, I could imagine that the CMA would take on say, such yeah. a role nationwide to yeah. say, hey guys, it's about ethics. It is, it's also based on our own oath that we've taken years and years ago and it now brings it into a whole new dimension and new world with new challenges that also scale but also scale if you're doing it the right way well listen can I tell you like I've been talking about this for a long time but never really seen it come to life and that is to think about computation as a clinical service Right? I know it sounds crazy to say it, yeah. but uh, but but I've been thinking that actually com- computing now is evolving at such a dramatic pace inside yeah. health institutions that it should report up to the CMO. Right, and 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 I've been saying this. I said it at Citra when Health we ran. Has become a software branch. It, it become a software branch, yeah, right? And it really should report to the CMO. It should not be reporting up to the CIO or CTO. I mean, the chief medical officer should be the one responsible for computing as a clinical service. Because let's face it, you know, the next five years we're going to see computers oh, yeah. making not necessarily making decisions, but providing significant input into decisions yeah. that are clinical. And uh, and so so I think the first sort of responsible thing for us to do is to have that conversation, is for us all to get together to try to convince health authorities and, and hospitals and, um, and and whoever be whoever it be, you know, CEOs yeah. particularly, that really you should be having com- computation reporting. Call it computing as a clinical service because that's what yeah. I think it is. And so that's that's one piece of it. I think the second piece falls a lot largely on, uh, on the users of the technology, right? I mean, the developers of the technology for sure have the capability to build in lots of safety checks. Yeah. Um, it is isn't really responsible uh, for them to be able to show um, 
clinicians who are then employing these tools uh, in a transparent way how the tool works. Yeah. Right? We have this sort of big black box problem right now oh. in AI, and I'm hoping that uh, that certainly you know at One Qubit we spent a lot of time re-architecting an entirely new way of building machine learning algorithms, and uh, and so that's why we, we we we've gone completely departed away from the traditional ways of, of doing this. You know, Keras and a bunch of different things, but we built our own solution, mm. and um, and it's taken us a huge effort and a lot of time to do. But we've done it because it gives us dramatic increased transparency to how these things work, and and the goal will be to then provide that transparency into uh, into the um, the clinician. But there's a second part of this, and and that is making people feel comfortable with this, so that we don't seven three seven max eight the problem yeah. here, right? And and knowing the limitations of these tools, and so um, I think it's really important to get into medical schools and to start talking about data science. It's really important to equip our medical students with, um, you know, real-world practical experience on how these things evolve. And you know, I've had conversations with faculties of medicine already on this, you know, and they're this very be excited core to do of it. Your curriculum. It should be core we've, of your curriculum. We've changed exactly. it in 2015 at about uh, a university medical center, fractionally. But now, with all these involvement, it should be. This is being compute computers. Data is going to be the place where you will spend the majority of your time as a physician in the next decades. Totally or agree. nurses, it doesn't matter. And you know, we're saying that here, and, and I'm, I'm glad there are other people listening to this message. But really, we we this should become a way of being, right? Data should become a way of being, and 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 like I say, data and innovation go hand in hand because with data you can come up with really interesting ideas yeah. on how things should work and work better. And so, um, if I look at if I look at, uh, at, at you know implementing this stuff in medical schools I think you know, most people are looking at this as a very didactic thing I'm looking at it as a completely different way of doing it I don't think it should creating be creating competences I think it should be creating competencies yeah. and I think I think what it should be doing is real practical hands on like let's get medical students and residents involved in validating these tools let's get them involved in training these tools so that they understand what it takes to do this and, and to make them doing, responsible as well yeah, exactly that's exactly right and so so I'm really excited that you know we've had we're, we're well down the road right now having conversations with a couple of medical schools um, and and hopefully that stuff will come to life here in the next sort of 30 to 60 days and then at that point you know we can have a conversation around this because I think there's some really cool things that we're going to do with some really you know good medical schools around the world um, to 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 move in this direction and then hopefully share our learnings with uh, yeah. with others because this isn't about building a uh, um, you know, a, a monolithic thing. This is about spreading the, uh, the thing. I, ha I have, I have this sort of guiding philosophy that I, I, I think originated in, in in northern Canada, and it is lift as you climb. You know, as you take people, as you, as you lift along your journey, take a whole bunch of people with yeah. you, right? And 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 Very I'm metaphor. really, I'm really, really hoping that as we embark on these journeys of innovation with the Canadian Medical Association and and advanced computing with One Qubit and some of these educational initiatives that we're going to be doing on data science, that 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 myself and a whole bunch of other people who are, you know, on this journey with us will will lift others as we climb and and, and provide a more, um, you know, wholesome experience for everybody. Yeah. So my last question always is, why should youngsters, 14, 15 years of age, having to choose what their career would be? Why would they have to choose for health and healthcare? Well, look, I, I think you know the. I'll give you a reason why I chose healthcare, right? I chose healthcare because um, 
I, I love helping people. I know it sounds so cliche and so um, tremendously, you know, medical school interview type answer, but it isn't. And I'll tell you, every I, I practice once once a month right now. I do interventional radiology, and 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 for that week of a month, um, I leave things like the CMA behind. I leave things like one cubit behind, and I go and take care of kids, right? And it is the most rewarding thing I can do. I, I tell people it's like I fill up my tank, you know, with with goodness, right? And and I think people who want to go into into medicine have got to come at it with that perspective, you know. If you want to fill up your tank with goodness, you you, you pick the right place, right? And uh, and if you want to then spread that goodness, you 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 can do it. You can do it to to whichever way you want. You can do things like, you know, you bunch of you know a bunch of physicians that have had some really interesting careers right yeah. they, they not only you know continue to practice medicine but they do a whole bunch of other things right and I think that that's what I would encourage people to do you've got to go into medicine because you care right because you truly care about delivering health to people right and you want to make their lives better and that's that's the fundamental thing is it going to be a completely different profession in 10 years absolutely right should we be addressing what the skill sets of the people we admit into medical school today are? Oh, 100%, right? Who cares about memorization anymore? You won't need mm-hmm. to do any of that, right? No. And you need people with really great skill sets. You need people who are willing to reach out and touch people emotionally, physically, you know, uh, mentally. And, 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 and you know, I, I say oftentimes and that, that, that the practice of medicine is this, uh, you know, when performed well or elegantly is sort of this elegant blend of art, science, and spirit, right? And people always say, oh, it's an art. No, it isn't. It's, 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 there's a combination of those three things there. you got to have the spirit part of it. It's just, you got to be in it, like, for the right reasons. You've got to want to reach out and touch your patients, you know, and you want to, when you walk into the room and you see your patient, you gotta, you got to say, I'm here to make this better for you. I want to make this better. And so, this, yeah. Anyway, th- th- that's what I would I would advise the 14 and 15 year old, and, and lots of lots of friends of families and stuff come and ask. And say, I say, look, it's a fantastic career. It is going to be transformatively different from what I have experienced. And uh, but that's okay as long as the fundamentals are there and that you care about people. That's the care part of that. Yeah, Deepak, thank you very much. You're welcome. Great chatting with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Future of Health. If you subscribe in your favorite podcast app, new episodes will come to you as soon as I publish them. If you liked it and have a spare minute, please rate this podcast and share it. I also would love to hear your feedback. Thank you again. Lucien Engelen and at Transform Health and as an Edge Fellow at the Center for the Edge at Deloitte, I help institutions, corporates, governments and professionals with a soft landing into the future.